Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous? Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth. Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own That Does Suit Madam official tote bag. A handbag? Or an official podcast sofa pillow. Perfect for hiding your Paddington bear. We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup. And of course, t-shirts. But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear. Support your favorite podcast with some That Does Suit Madam merch. All at imfree.threadless.com imfree.threadless.com And you've all done very well. This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by Multurd's Takeaway Tandoori. Instant microwave family meals for only £1.30 each. Now offering mutton dressed as lamb korma and toad in the hole tikka masala. Only available at the front desk of the Millstone Manor Lobby. Bang the fire gong for service. Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm free! Grand Thorpe, Hey, I'm Jeff. And I'm Brandon, and this is That Does It, Madam, a podcast about Are You Being Served? Woohoo! Hi, Unanimous. Hello, Mr. Brandon. Hello. Okay, can can we just address the elephant, or rather the um, the low voiced mammal in the, the porcupine room? in the room? The porcupine. So, okay, picture it. I was at a uh, Swiss Alps Alpine yodeling contest. Okay. <laughs> in the midst of the excitement, I forgot to wipe the end, and I caught a little throat thing. That's okay? that's what he said. <laughs> so you know I'll, I'll try to muddle through but uh, you know luckily i was able to fly back home to northern mississippi airport and everything was fine but they didn't know, make my... you quarantine on arrival mm, well not in mississippi honey <laughs> <laughs> they don't believe in such things no but anyway so i'm, I'm here i'm bush bright-eyed and bushy-tailed well as, as bushy as it can get anyway these days um but my voice is a bit low but um Oh, well. It, it's nice because now I get to go to the uh, Harry Firestein convention next week. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, he's looking for understudies. So there you go. What are you, you going to wear to that? Because you've been outlining every single costume change you're going to have <laughs> when we have Madame Con for real. Um, I'm going to dress up like Mrs. Turnblad from uh, Hairspray the Musical because that's what he played. He uh, Didn't he play in that, Harry Firestein? He, uh, uh, on Broadway, yeah. Yeah, so uh, basically a giant Ed, multicolored moo moo, you know. Which Edna Turnblad? The I've got ironing look or? Oh well, why choose? <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like we've reached a milestone of sorts this episode. Did we it's not? It's a Jeff? new chapter for the podcast because <gasps> we are no longer going to be talking about are you being served? But, but what, instead, what else? Are we, what is there to talk about other than are you being served? Tonight we're talking about series one, episode one of Are You Being Served Again? Stroke <gasps> Grace and Favor. Ding, ding, ding. Come on, Gladys. Oh, she's taking a day off. Oh, my God. That's so <laughs> exciting. So the Unanimous has been like clawing at us. They've been not sending us hate mail, but like very strongly worded letters. Like, I will <laughs> do things to your car tires if you do not do Are You Being... Not really. You all are very nice to us. <laughs> but yeah. So um, don't worry, Unanimous. The day has come. Uh, circle this day on your calendars and your diaries and unlock that little lock with that little metal key and circle today's date on the calendar. And uh, your prayers have been answered. Your chakras have been assigned. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's a new era for the podcast. Um, and for me, I have not watched this uh, this show since it originally aired in the early 90s. 
you know, uh, because Same. it came it came to the states um, pretty quickly after it uh, aired in the UK, and I have not gone back to revisit it like I have over the years with the original series. So it's going to be really interesting to be watching these episodes with very fresh eyes, much like um, we did last week when we had Dean on to talk about um, Undesirable Alien. And can we just give send a little like podcast thanks to Dean again for joining us on the podcast? He's always a lot of fun to record with, as all of our super fan guest stars are. But um, everyone really liked hearing from Mr. Dean. So hello, Dean Down Under. Yeah, down indeed. We've also heard from uh, a new Facebook fan, Joseph. So welcome to the fray. Thanks for joining us. What do you know, Joe? <laughs> um, it's been pretty light in the inbox this week. And I think because we're in that kind of interstitial uh, phase before we begin talking about the new series. I think the but... unanimous is nervous. They just like, they're wringing their <laughs> hands. They're like, what are they going to talk about now? <laughs> well, have no fear, unanimous. We are talking about the sequel indeed. Um, and as we do in to kick off every episode, please um, wash your hands. Uh, we are so close to ending this pandemic. Just make sure that you use some common sense. Wear a mask if you if you see that others are wearing it or if infections are up in your area. Uh, think about Ukraine and keep um, keep an eye on what's going on over there. And of course, as always, Black, Black lives, matter. lives Matter, and yes, indeed, and you've all done very well. Um, I will just point a preference, a uh, point of personal privilege on the podcast, p- 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 alliteration. Um, it's interesting you said that you haven't watched this since this came out, this series, in 1992. I don't think I have either, and I remember back in the day, you know, I'm very young. I was a mere, mere land boy back then, um, <laughs> <laughs> which we'll learn about later. Um, but it was neat that back then, and we'll probably get into this a little bit long, a bit later in the episode, but, um, of course, Are You Being Served was like 20, 30 years in the past, and I was watching this historical thing when I was watching it as a little boy on Arkansas Public Television, and then suddenly the same people were on a television show that was current of the day, which was like, this is a big deal. I mean, I don't know if it was like within six months of them of them airing it in the UK, we'll learn all of that backstory. But it felt like, oh, it's it's current. It's like a it's it made Are You Being Served for me having Are You Being Served again slash Grace and Favor. It was almost like it was a big a bigger deal than it would have been if it was just a silly show from the seventies, right? Well, it's only sort of modern, right? Because they're set in this. You know, obviously everyone knows, spoiler alert from a show from 30 years ago, (laughs) you know, it's set in a manor house in the countryside that is a little run down and a little dated, much like Grace Brothers Department Store. Although you did have a couple of references to modern technology. They talked about the answering machine. The fax machine. Mr. Rumble got a fax, right? (laughs) Which now is very antiquated, but. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I see what you say. Like, it, there is a little bit of modernity uh, yeah. in there, but um, we'll have to see what the rest of the episode is. I'm a big Star Trek guy, so it's almost like watching the original series, knowing, like, from the 60s, okay, that's historical and is part of the culture. And then suddenly in the 80s, they made our, um, Star Trek. Are you being served the next generation? Um, Star Trek: The Next Generation. <laughs> so then it's like, oh, not only was this part of the culture in you know thirty years ago, but now it's so beloved that it's being remade again. Mm-hmm. So it's that sort of happened for me with Are You Being Served too? You know, it's almost like <laughs> being served the next generation or Deep Space Gloucester. I, I don't know which which series <laughs> it would be, but yeah, so it's kind of fun. So it's cool that we get to watch this again. And, and like you, I've not watched the episodes since I was you know. 12. So take us back, Mr. Jeff. What what, uh, what dates are we looking at? I need to know the information. So The Inheritance originally premiered on January 10th, 1992, which was seven years after the pop star, the finale of the original series. Now that's interesting. It makes me feel like it was a lot more time than that, but just seven years. You're right. Because when, when would the pop star? Was that 85? It was 85. 85. Wow. Okay. Well, that's that's funny. Well, I think probably for you, and and to some extent me, because I am slightly older than you. Um, the difference <laughs> from eighty five to ninety two is so long because it represents a part of your childhood where the years were long. 
Uh, whereas, no, that's a good na- point. whereas now, 2015 to 2022, eh, that's, oh, that's a blink nothing. in the eye. Yeah. Right? Eh, I like how you said that. <laughs> okay, so, so in January um, 10th, uh, 1992, what was going down? So at the top of the Billboard 100 chart was Black or White by Michael Jackson. Moving along at the top of the UK singles chart. Moving right along from Michael Jackson. (laughs) Was Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. And so I thought, I wonder what, why this had a resurgence at that time. I was like, oh, Wayne's World must have um, premiered at this time or been out in the theaters. But that wasn't the case. Yeah, they they jammed to Bohemian Rhapsody. And that was the, in fact, it makes sense because that's the first time I had heard it. And I'm like, this is a great song. Right? But that wasn't the case because Wayne's World wasn't released until the next month. What happened was uh, Freddie oh. Mercury passed away the November before, in November 1991. So all of the oh. Queen catalog was having a big resurgence. So just two months prior. It, oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Rest in peace, Mr. Freddie. Um, the New York Transit Fair was raised from $1.15 to $1.25. Um, that's it. I'm and, getting a car. I'm getting a Cutlass Supreme. <laughs> a Cutlass Supreme. That's a <laughs> it's deep 1992. cut. That's a really good reference. Um, <laughs> for anyone who is not in the New York City metro area, it's now 275. Um, and I remember this being a big deal for me because um, you, back then you had to pay um, with either a token or. Um, with cash, right? If you were going on the bus, for example, and a dollar fifteen and coins only, a dollar fifteen is such an odd amount to have to carry because you need a dime and a nickel, or you need three nickels. There's no other way to get around that. Whereas everyone has quarters, and the buses don't make change. And as so we all remember- know, Americans hate nickels. <laughs> And so I just remember that being, all right, fi- yeah, the fares are going up, but it, like, it kind of makes sense now for, for those who take the bus. Um, okay. AT&T released uh, their first video phone, retailing at $1,499. That, uh, was it like an iPhone? Was it like FaceTime? It must have been, I mean, for that much money, it must have It was like, like a, a George Jetson phone, right? If you think about like the screen that they that they pulled down and like connected to the phone, yeah, and the quality was not that great. Uh, with inflation, that would be about three thousand dollars today. Meanwhile, I'm looking around my apartment and oh my counting God. the numerous devices <laughs> that I could have a video chat on. It's absolutely insane. Technology, how technology, right? Science. Um, President George H. W. Bush fell ill and vomited on the Japanese Prime Minister's lap. Uh, which became parodied over and over again on uh, late night shows and sketch shows. And that is not a traditional Japanese greeting. So he was not <laughs> following protocol. That is no. not a good look. Nope. And Boutros Boutros Ghali was uh, named Secretary General of the United Nations. That sounds like quite a week, gotta say. <laughs> gotta say. That's a big week. And so this first premiered in the UK. I wonder, because going from the UK to the US, do you know if there was any delay in time between when they got to saw it over Nya and when we got to see it over Nya? Um, well, Ka- uh, Cartman, I do not know <laughs> about that. Um, I, I got him unanimous this whole time. I'm like, we got to stump Mr. Jeff. I got him. Yes. You got me, indeed. Uh, we'll have to send a fax over to our research, <laughs> research team department. down at uh, Northern Mississippi Research Compound, and see if we can find out when it premiered. It had to be. Uh, it, I feel like it had to be in this time frame. Can I just because, finish my joke? Because I'll forget. We have yeah. to send a fax because we're still paying off that goddamn video phone from 1992. <laughs> so we can't afford new technology. <laughs> okay, please carry on. Um, I feel like it had to be quicker because I'm thinking about the friends that I knew around this time period that I would have been talking about both of the shows with. And 1992 sounds like the right time frame. So I feel like it was pretty quickly after that. We'll, we'll, we'll um, get our research team on that and find out. And I do know as, you know, I was a 12-year-old little gay boy in Arkansas who was a proud member of the John Minman fan club. Thank you very much. And I remember getting, like, 
I mean, all they could do was like make a little hand. Of course, everything was by hand back then. And there was this nice, charming lady, I think from London, who would make newsletters every month and she would photocopy them. And there would be like a little photo of John Inman and like updates about John's career or whatever. And it was, I remember, very exciting news in the newsletters that like, there's a new series <laughs> about Are You Being Served? So. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious if anyone who listens to the podcast was a member. That would be kind of fun. But, uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. So we get the opening theme, and it's an intermental song, right? You know, we're not going to get the cast register music anymore because we're out of the store. Um, and it's shown over paintings of the manor house. And it reminded me very much of the Beans of Boston opening. Ooh. Right That's where you see the the building over the years in that kind of you know very watercolory type drawing style. Um, it really, really seemed very old fashioned to me. Yeah, and I, I think don't that's know why. That's in keeping with the theme of the show. <laughs> is like, oh, we've got all of these things that are so backwards and almost an, uh, anachronistic about how out of date they are. But also um, 1992, that was a while back ago. You know, I mean, and also the, the two guys who produced this thing, who produced all the other shows before, you know, that's probably what they did with their other shows. So why, yeah. if it ain't broke, right? That That's true. I mean, it, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk about some references to other Lloyd and Croft shows, but you know, it ain't half hot mom and dad's army were set in the war. Um, Heidi High was set in the 50s. And so, yeah, that's what they did. They, they traditionally looked at um, uh, the comedy through the lens of yesteryear. You know, the very few of their shows were set in current times. Yeah, and I loved how, you know, watching this episode in preparation for the podcast, um, it comes across as very quaint. Like, the mm -hmm. obvious, like, not even a photograph, but, like, an idealized painting uh, zooming slightly out, uh, and then they go to another image. Um, I don't know, it's just something you don't see. And plus, of course, you don't even see um, theme songs anymore, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's just a, a nice little nostalgia, which, frankly, this whole podcast is really about, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was cool to see it again after all these years. I would love to know what happened to those paintings. Wouldn't that be cool? Ooh. Maybe our friend who um, lives in the building or works out in the gym where the studio used to be can go digging around supply closets. And he's like, and oh, find them. oh, it's in the men's room. <laughs> it's on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> um, we enter on um, the boardroom and we're introduced to Mr. Thorpe and Miss Prescott, who are kind of throwaway characters to really be expository about the setup and the transition from the show. They mm. uh, represent, uh, they're from the young Mr. Grace's solicitor's firm. Uh, and yeah. um, they are preparing the boardroom for a meeting. And we learn that the staff are coming back from a funeral of some kind. Which is sad, and, but, but it's neat because we go right back to Grace Brothers, right? This is in Grace Brothers building in London, right? Off yeah. Piccadilly. Is, I mean, you can see the old... Um, you know, uh, wood paneled walls and there's an old painting of Mr. Grace, which is different from the old series, but right. whatever, you know, it's like we're going back to the old series for a little brief moment, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, we also learned that the store had been sold, uh, and that the only departments left at the very end were the ladies and gents ready made. Oh, they were so loyal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and very similar. We have a good callback to the pilot episode of the very first pilot where oh. there's trouble with the lift, right? Where it doesn't stop exactly at the floor. Oh, you're so right. And the, right? in the very, that's right. And the very first thing we hear, and of course I'm thinking, when are we going to see who's going to come out? Like, what will the audience do? What was their reaction? And then you hear a very familiar voice. Don't you do not, Mr. Jeffrey. Yeah, you do. We hear Mrs. Slocum complaining about the lift, just as she did in the pilot, right? Oh, I love uh, it. Oh, I didn't, and, I didn't catch that. That's so nice. And, and, and we get the physicality of her trying to get out of the lift, just like, <laughs> just like the pilot. It's just I like also the film, too. I was, I yeah. was expecting to see her um, Union Jack bloomers, but uh, sadly <laughs> not. What's lovely is when you finally uh, hear, Mr. Humphreys, put your umbrella in, and you don't see him, but you see his umbrella kind of poke through the slightly open lift doors. And it's, of course, you know, a floral 
umbrella, of course, it's right. Mr. Humphreys. And then you finally see the doors open up, and then you see them all, and the audience claps, which was yeah. like, exactly, they, do, they need yeah. to clap for these people. They get an applause break to walk along them uh, on back onto Yay. the set, which is well-deserved, right? Um, what have the actors been up to in the past seven years? So, um, obviously, John Inman had done um, Are You Being Served Australia?, uh, and he also did a series called Take a Letter, Mr. Jones, where he was a secretary to a female CEO. Right? Mm-hmm. Or, very progressive. You know, very progressive. Uh, and Wendy Richard obviously had been Pauline Fowler on EastEnders. She actually huge, took a huge break. Star. Yep. Took a break uh, from that to record both seasons. Oh, um, that's cool. Molly Sugden had two series since then. That's My Boy and My Husband and I. Okay. Um, Frank Thornton... Um, Went uh, went back to the theater, uh, and he played the major general in the Pirates of Penzance on the West End, as well as the lead in Me and My Girl, whereas huh. Nicholas Smith um, was the lead of Me and My Girl in the Touring Company. So after the, the show closed on the West End and started touring, Nicholas Smith took over. So I think there's like a... A connection there because I could swear in the original series, Captain Peacock says he played a part on the Captain uh, the 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 Pirates of Penzance, didn't he? Oh, and then Frank Thornton actually goes and plays that on the West End after our being served wraps up. I don't know. That is that is very very possible. Deep take. It Deep was take. Um, the episode where they got the new um, machine to dispense the salaries. And oh, because and you have to cr- wear something red on your head. Right, because in um, uh, in his staff photo ID, it was when he was um, in the <gasps> oh, Pirates of Penzance. And that was the, the, play, the Grace Brothers Performance Fellows staff right. photo. Community ah. theater, right. Oh, you're so good. You're so That's good. what it was, yeah. Okay, oh, so God. we learned that, um, unfortunately, young Mr. Grace has passed away. Uh, he was scuba diving with his nurse in the Carabino, and her bikini top fell off, and I guess he had a heart attack underwater or got the bends <laughs> or something, and it just somehow it, it just seems like the best way for him to you know go to the great boardroom in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, uh, okay. we're also um, we Mr. Rumbold isn't wasn't at the funeral right, and he's also not going to be at this meeting because he's got some other business to attend to concerning uh, the estate. Okay. Um, and the staff also find out that they're waiting for another party named Miss Lovelock, who was uh, young Mr. Grace's personal companion at the time of his demise. And it was her whose bikini top fell off that led to the unfortunate um, underwater accident. I wonder what happened to Miss Belfridge. I wonder if she oh. was able to, you know, transition into, I don't know... <laughs> What would have happened to that character? Page, we can, page we three. Can just, a page, maybe she became um, a, a successful Western actress. Let's let's. Sure, think we'll about go that. with that. Yeah. Right. Um, so Miss Lovelock, Miss Jessica Lovelock, is played by Joanne Haywood, um, who also was Dillis on the first of the Summer Wine, which is the prequel to the last of the Summer Wine. I didn't know there was a first. How interesting. I didn't know there was either. <laughs> and I wanted to say that in case she listens to the podcast, she certainly interacts with us a little bit on Twitter. So, Ms. Haywood, hello, and you've all done very well. <laughs> um, most of the money has been left to uh, young Mr. Grace's favorite charity, the Home for Fallen Women. And okay. uh, Ms. Mr. Humphreys gets a little quip in. I wonder if he mentioned anything about fallen men. <laughs> Which is, I think, I think it's great because there's so much double entendre with both of them, right? Yeah. Uh, when you're talking about charities, fallen women can either be women who have hit hard times or mm-hmm. women who are in the pudding club or up the duff, right? <laughs> Which people Where, still don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas, you know, for for fallen men, it's for people who got you know injured in service in the military. But that's not what Mr. Humphreys means. Mm-hmm. He means, you know. You know. We know. Wrist. We know. Insert limp wrist emoji here. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mr. Thorpe lets us know that the pension fund has been invested in several companies like the Rangoon Gas Mantle Company and the Falkland Whalebone Enterprise. 
Um, Something whalebone. That's not a thriving industry in 1992, I could imagine. No, no, they're, they're not. And I'm wondering if this was a reference to other David Croft shows, right? Because <laughs> we've talked about It Ain't Half Hot Mom, right? Which was set right. in the war. Mm-hmm. It was set in uh, Burma, which is now called Myanmar. Um, and Rangoon, now called Yangon, well, that's no longer the capital, but it used to be uh, the mm-hmm. capital. And I'm wondering if there was a reference to that being um, one of the companies that was mentioned there. No, that I would be a deep take. I can't think about, you know, I'm trying to find a Croft or a Croft and Lloyd show that was set in the early 80s when the Falklands of Malvinas War was. Uh why there would be this Falkland whalebone enterprise. But I think you're right. I think it's just random things that are just non-profitable uh, companies that, you know, seem, again, out of date, won't be doing very well. Well, I mean, Rangoon, to me, of course, you know more about the history than I do, but I know it's an old-fashioned word for a place. And Falkland, I know that was like in the, what, early to mid-80s? Now this 82. is 1992, yeah. So both words just make me think of things long ago. You know, yeah. like if you're investing, you want to be on the cutting edge. So probably not going to be <laughs> very good investments for these poor right. folks at Grace Brothers, yeah? But also in the pension fund, there was uh, a Tudor Manor house that um, the uh, that he acquired. And uh, Miss Brahms reminds us exactly what part of London she is from when she says, "Okay, we'll flog that lot and we'll cop the lolly." <laughs> cop the lolly. She said <laughs> that back in the old lot. series uh, a couple times. I think she did. Yeah, and um, uh, for those of you playing along at home that may not have caught up, uh, lolly here is uh, neither Polari nor Cockney rhyming slang. It's just short for lollipop. And it's a reference to money that uh, you do a lot of food substitutions with, like bread or cabbage. That's all it is. Now I'm hungry. I remember <laughs> an episode of Miss Brahms saying, that's a lot of lolly. And everyone understood what it meant, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, lolly. Yeah, I feel like I remember explaining the money um, and food um, analogy or, or, uh, earlier, too. Could be. Could In be. any case... Um, they can't indeed flog that lot because the estate is in trust to the pension fund. So they don't own it outright. The, the estate, uh, the trust fund, the trust does. So um, they just have to t- take whatever profits it makes, uh, however it can make a profit, and take that as part of their pension. Uh, the, the house is called Millstone Manor, and it is the, in the town of Great Tender, we don't know quite yet where that is, okay. uh, but it's far away enough from London that they would need to stay the night in order to um, go there. And they're all excited to check it out and see what potential it has. And then they find out who the manager is, who's none other than Cuthbert Rumble. Mr. Rumble. And they all sigh and hang their head in shame. We even Aww. hear Captain Peacock say, oh, God. <laughs> oh god so great tender is that like I, it's probably a small little english village or something but is that a real place or do do we have an idea that is not a real place oh so it's a make it up okay so i did and took the liberty of figuring out where the hell this was um where this place came from and of course um i knew that the manor house where they filmed the series or at least the exterior shots of course the interior were all like on sound stages probably in london I guess. Uh, but like the great big master room with like the staircase and the, the, the windows and the couches and stuff like that was a soundstage. But the scenes where uh, Captain Peacock will, it, once when they finally get there, um, that's a real manor home. So I was curious about it. So I did some research. And if the floor is open for uh, historical uh, anecdotes, Mr. Jeff. What a fucking liberty. Yes, of course. You may dig <laughs> okay. the stage. So this is cool. So if you don't like history, like fast forward or something. But if you do, hold on. So this is a place. The, it's a real manor house called Cavanage. I think that's how you say it. Cavanage House. Uh, C-H-A-V-E-N-A-G-E. Thank you. It's built in 1576. So you'll hear Miss... Miss Brahms reference. Oh, it's built in yep. 1576. And in England, if you've ever been to England or... Scotland. I'm not sure if they have it in Wales or not, but um, they have uh, historic 
houses and buildings listed, and they have grades one, two, and three to determine and to let people know how important this building is. So the grade one is the top, grade two is pretty good, grade three is, and eh, don't knock it over, you know? <laughs> um, so this is a grade one listed building, and that means it's a building, quote, of exceptional interest. So I'm sure if you're grade one or grade two or whatever, they probably say you can't do, you can't knock it down, you can't make it look different, all that's like historic stuff, mm-hmm. right? So anyway, it's an important building. Um, it's in the county of Gloucester. Uh, am I saying that right? Gloucester? Gloucestershire? Uh, Gloucestershire, yeah. Gloucestershire. It looks much longer than it, it sounds. Let me trust, trust me on that. Uh, in a little town village called Beaverton, Beaverton. And um, so it's interesting because if you look on a map, this is somewhat close to um, Somerset, County Somerset in the west of England. And if you know the character Mr. Mollard, he kind of talks like a pirate, like uh, has that hard R, O-R-R. Yeah, exactly. So the the place where they film the exterior shots um, is kind of from that area. So it's kind of interesting little anecdote there. So what's cool about the house... You can, it's not actually a hotel. It might have been a hotel in the past, but now it's like a wedding venue. In a lot of places in the UK, if you have a big fancy wedding with a dance and dinner and stuff, you go to like rent a manor home, you know? So it's one of those kind of places. Um, It's about a two and a half hour drive west of London. So, you know, it's kind of out there. But if you go back in history, it gets pretty interesting. So... If you don't know English history, there was a civil war. So in the States, there was a civil war in the 1860s. They had theirs in the 1640s, 50s. Okay? Uh Um, Yada, yada, yada. One of the owners, I think the second or the third owner of the building, um, supported Oliver Cromwell. And he was the guy who got together with a bunch of people who were against the king. And the king was Charles I, and he thought he was the king because of a divine will from God and the divine mm-hmm. right of kings and all that stuff you remember from history class. Well, um, not this owner, Nathaniel Stevens specifically, but he and his supporters and Oliver Cromwell's supporters literally killed the king. So King Charles I was killed by what were called parliamentarians. And they were basically like, we don't want to be your monarch anymore. We just want to get rid of the king and be a, a republic. Well... He later really thought that was a terrible thing that he did, supporting <laughs> what's called regicide. Um, and oh, he... I went to high school with him. Oh, his sister? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Regicina. I don't know. Maybe that's a drag queen name. Anyway, um, so it's, it, it's said to he died of remorse, this guy who owned this home, soon after uh, King Charles I was killed because it's sort of like, what the hell did we do? Right. right? So anyway, long story short, they ended up, Finding his son, King Charles II, in ne- the Netherlands and brought him back and made him king. And they're like, never mind. We're sorry we killed your dad. You're king again. Hurrah, hurrah. Okay. But anyway, all of this is to say, because of this, when he died, it's recounted the legend mm-hmm. is that on the day of his death, this Nathaniel Stevens's ghost was seen leaving this house where they filmed Are You Being Served Again? Um, on a coach driven by a headless coachman. Ooh. Oh, okay. And he was dressed like King Charles I, who died of murder. So the house is reputed to be one of the nation's most haunted houses. Ooh. Oh, okay. So that's kind of fun. I thought it was worth mentioning. So if you're well, like one of those for the history lesson. ghosty people... You can go get married at this place and stand where Captain Peacock rang a doorbell. <laughs> and that's your history break. Thank you. All right. And, um, well, while we're taking breaks, why don't we take a canteen break? I hear they have a sale on takeaway Indian. Uh, you have to <laughs> microwave it, but, you know, we'll see. Cool. So I'll, I clearly need more tea for my throat. And uh, we'll be right back from the canteen, eh? So the staff arrive, uh, we see them pulling up to the manor in a taxi, theoretically from a train station or a coach station, because they wouldn't have taken the taxi all the way from London. And Captain Peacock asks if Mr. Humphreys has changed for a five. Uh, Good, so you can pay the bill. 
right? <laughs> Not to make change, no. So that's going to be a setup for a little bit of a joke later on. Mm-hmm. And we do get our um, first joke, our first pussy joke of the new series. Oh, boy. Would you hold my pussy while I alight, while I get out of the cab? And she's holding tittles in the cage. So um, Mrs. Locum says... I'm going to alight now, which is a, an obscure verb means get out of a car or something. Yeah, to get out of a, ca- a car, to get off a train, get off a bus, alight. Yeah. I love that that's, that's so in her character to like use verbs that right. like, what? Okay. That's actually pretty common in Europe. Really? Like you'll see, you'll uh, on public transit. You'll see like make sure to um, let the passengers alight before you board. Or th- yeah, that's that's actually pretty common in Europe. It, we don't use that here in the states. I don't know from that wide. <laughs> uh, Miss Brahms remarks how well behaved Tiddles was on the journey here, mm-hmm. uh, and that's because Mrs. Silkham gave her a tranquilizer. Oh, was it a Magidon? Um I think this <laughs> no. is. I think we've had this. Yeah, joke I was going to say. Right? I remember like this joke before. Yeah, it's 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 a benzo. It's it's like diazepam, but. Um, a little bit different. Okay. Um, and uh, we learned that Mrs. Silkum is no stranger to country life because during the war, she was evacuated to a farm in Tiverton in Devon. Uh, until, and then we learned that um, Mr. Humphreys was also evacuated to a farm, but uh, the school bully switched the name tags around, and until D-Day, he was known as Gladys Wainwright. <laughs> <laughs> Which is Which interesting, too, hysterical. because back in 1992, there were a lot of folks who remember D-Day and remember the mm-hmm. war. You know, now, sadly, those have all pretty much passed away. But back then, that was still a thing, you know? Yeah. So we see that Mr. Rumbold Cuthbert is there to welcome everyone uh, to the manor, which he's now managing. Uh, And it turns out he's a bit short-staffed at the moment because when he announced all of the changes he wanted to make once he arrived... Everybody quit. And Captain <laughs> Peacock says, it's good to know you still have your flair for managerial expertise, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there's still an assistant cook. There's still some farmhands. And he's put an advertisement in the local newspaper. So we'll see what happens if anyone is going to um, want to work at Millstone Manor. Um, we meet the first farmhand who is Morris Moltard. Yay! Uh, who is played by Billy Burden. Uh, who was in Oh Happy Band and a recurring guest star on Heidi High and several parts. He was a character actor who played this Somerset country bumpkin type uh, on all of the shows that he did. He does it very well. (laughs) And so he comes out with the Somerset accent and we immediately know where we are. Yeah. Because it's so distinctive to have this West Country accent that sounds almost American, almost pirate, but some words sound uniquely British that you know exactly where you are. Yeah, it's interesting because when I was in the UK, um, I hung out with a, my buddy Jim uh, for a couple weeks in kind of near Bristol, which is Somerset. And I kept thinking like, oh, my God, are you being served again? Like these people really do sound like that. Um, <laughs> and there's not a lot of like British TV films or whatever that have that accent. Uh, there's also yeah. the episode, I think it's the one that was later banned from BritBox where they go through um, roots, they have yeah. Black, roots, yeah, the blackface episode and one of the iterations of young Mr. Grace's uh, family tree research was, oh, you're from Somerset, so let's sing a song about Somerset and it was everyone dressed up with funny beards and they looked like farmers and or, 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 just like Mr. Moulter, <laughs> you know, so it's fun. So Mr. Moulter had taken Rumble's suggestion to open up the hen house in order to have free-range eggs, uh, but all the hens have now run acro- all across the manor, and now the staff are responsible for gathering the hens. <laughs> um, and we get a really good fish-out-of-water type moment, this visual gag, with all these city folk who are dressed up in finery like you know for a, a date a weekend trip to the country yeah and now they're mucking about in the mud trying to shoe the hens back into the hen house yeah mrs slocum was wearing a beautiful like a, a, of course also in when i was in 1992 like she reminded me of my grandmother like she sort of had that look and the hair and she kind of dressed like my grandmother did um a little bit like when she was trying to be fancy and so i this very matronly grandmotherly you know because molly sugden 
is probably in her seventies mm-hmm. at this point, I'd imagine, mm-hmm. right? So she's wearing like blue low cut heels with like a lovely chiffon, like silky dress or whatever, and then she is like walking through the muck, and Mister Humphreys is wearing like iron to the to the last level of heaven uh white linen pants with <laughs> like a cravat and like a pink band around his hat and but it was just so weird to see them running around like in the muck and there's probably manure and there's cow i don't know but it was yeah fish out of water great way to describe that Visually, it looked very much like one of Hyacinth's hijinks on Keeping Up Appearances. Oh my God, that just—you're absolutely right. I could that could have right. easily been Patricia Rutledge, right? Where she's all dressed up and she's yeah. got to muck about somewhere, whether it's with um, her sisters or whatever. Yeah. And this is also interesting to see the cast of Are Being Served in open air because it was always on a soundstage even i think with the movie they were never actually out of doors um of course you saw them as they entered when they when captain peacock tries to ring the gong and like the the chain falls but uh yeah that that's something also i remembered as a kid the way that all british tv shows um you almost never see it uh sunny (laughs) When they're outside, it's always gray. Well, that's how it is in the UK. It's It's almost never sunny. That's true. Um, uh, Mrs. Slocum uh, attends to milking the cow because um, usually Mr. Moulter's daughter does it and she's stuck in town. Uh, And it turns out that Mr. Moulter was evacuated to the same farm and exposes Mrs. Slocum's real name, (gasps) Rachel Yiddle, which we learned in her happy uh, uh, birthday. Uh, episode, right? Well, you're quite mistaken, Morris, or whatever your name is, or was. And it took, I remember so you, totally you're true. Rachel Yiddle. <laughs> like, really loud, yeah. Right. And apparently they had quite a quite a romp in the A back in the old farm, or whatever. <laughs> oh, Mrs. Slocum. Mr. Rumble lets it um, slide that no one has applied for any jobs at the manor. There aren't any uh, answers. <laughs> there aren't any calls on the answering machine. And um, he goes over the final numbers that he just got uh, a fax from Mr. Thorpe of Thorpe, Thorpe, and Thorpe, right? So this how, is how very modern. This yeah. is where we get the modern, right? Uh, so the income for the pension fund investments is going to be 243, th- uh, 243 pounds per month for each of them which today would be worth about 500 pounds or $640 today. That's not enough to live off of. I mean, no. even if you own your home outright, that's not enough to, to make a living off of. So they're not going to be able to, um, uh, to retire as they thought with their pension that they had money subtracted out of their wages every week. So they're quite upset about it, but they want to have dinner and sleep on it to figure out what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Mr. Rumbold instructs them to bang the gong for dinner to let the <laughs> staff know to bring in dinner. Uh, Mr. Moulter thinks it's the fire, fire alarm and fire, starts, fire. starts coming in with the extinguisher. Um, and <laughs> they actually don't have an assistant cook anymore. Uh, the Moulters had to go send out for a takeaway tandoori chicken that was microwaved uh, for a pound 35 each. Um, yeah. And, and this is where we meet our, our new friend, Fleur Bennett, don't we? That's right. Yay. That's right. Who plays Mavis Moulter, who is the daughter. Uh, also, hi from Twitterland. Yeah, apparently um, um, the actress um, has liked us on Twitter. So if you're listening, Ms. Fleur, hello. And she's hello. a big animal activist. So that's really cool, too. And uh, she also went on to play Belinda in Family Affairs. Okay, I don't know Family Affairs. Maybe I should check it out. Yeah, but I I will say, back in the day, I always really liked her character. I like that, um, I think later we learned that she's a simple country girl. You know, like, in that, the way her father ex- expresses, like, who she is to people. But right. um, I know later on, uh, if they had continued making episodes they were going to really explore her character a lot and they didn't but we'll we'll, we'll see how much we learn about her as a character as we go we've on we've got two seasons we've got yeah. two seasons yeah. to learn about her right um the staff have to pay her back the pound 35 cuz she fronted it and if she doesn't give it back to her father he's going to give her the strap oh my god which like uh, this, she's not a she's not a teenager she's young but um 
you know, even understanding what child rearing was like back then, too mm. old to get corporal punishment from the parents. Well, this is again, this is what uh, twenty? How many years ago? Uh, thirty. 30. Yeah, 30. Yeah. This is kind of one of those things that in the 90s you would sort of make jokes about like parents beating their children and no one would really yep. think, oh, that's kind of weird. But definitely that's one of the things that these days, mm, the strap, uh, yeah, we don't, we, don't, yeah. we don't go there anymore with comedy. No. So. Mr. Slocum has the brilliant idea that uh, if they're not going to be able to live off of the pension, um, uh, uh, the pension investments, mm-hmm. that they should run the manor themselves because they'll be able to live there rent free. Mm-hmm. They'll have um, free milk and eggs and they can <laughs> grow their own vegetables. So their food costs will be reduced. Sounds like we have a TV um, show, folks. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder what's going to happen to Mrs. Peacock and Mrs. Rumbold. Um, if they're going to move out to the countryside as well. Ooh. Maybe we learn in the upcoming episodes. <laughs> That's a good maybe question. We find, maybe we find out. I, don't I know. would say, I would wish um, um, Trevor Bannister could have came onto the show. I think he was mm-hmm. asked and he politely declined. Um, I know that Mike Barry, um, Mr. Spooner, and um, the fellow who played Mr. Mash, sorry, I don't know your name. Um, mm-hmm. Arthur English? Arthur English, who played Mr. Not, Harmon. Not Mr. Mr. Harmon, yeah. yeah. all of them were not asked to come on. Like, how fun would it have well, been to have, like, Arthur English, Mr. Mr. Harmon? That's not that's not true. Arthur English was asked to come on, but he'd already retired at that point. Oh, so okay, declined. good. All right. But, I, I yeah, I was, I was thinking how the fun others, it would be to have him with, kind of square off with, um, uh, like, the Cockney Mr. Harmon, and then... Uh, the Somerset, Mr. Moulter. Mr. Moulter, yeah. Yeah, that would have been really, really fun. There's quite some fracas outside because Tittles has climbed out the window. <laughs> that naughty goat has got hold of my pussy and won't let go. And everyone runs outside to go attend to uh, the, the cat and the naughty goat. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, we then see a little bit of upstairs. Uh, Mrs. Slocum and Miss Brahms have to share the housekeeper's room for the night because the room that Miss Brahms is staying in has um, a leak uh, in the ceiling. Okay. Uh, Mr. Peacock, Captain Peacock is saying next door in the head waiter's room, there's no locks on the bedroom. So we're going to see that probably crop up time and time. Which I I think we've talked about briefly on the podcast. That seems to be somewhat of a common occurrence in the UK compared to the US. That's true. Locks on bedroom windows or bedroom doors. But this is... um, this is a manor house that has been repurposed as a hotel or bed and breakfast. And you think at that point, well, no, I guess because this is the staff, the staff mm, room is yeah. locked. But still, but the yeah. idea of having a bedroom with no lock on it for Americans, yeah. it's kind of a weird thing. Yeah. Um, we get a little bit of insight into Captain Peacock's personal life because he does uh, his Jane Fonda exercise routine before bed every night. <laughs> and so we get to hear that through the walls. Yeah, I think that's really cute because, you know, the thing about Captain Peacock, uh, and it's so cool that it's the same character, same actor, it's the same thing, right, we're talking about even later. He's trying never to look middle class. He's always upper middle class, you know, upper middle management. I have a color television set, da da da. Yet, he has a tease made, which in the UK definitely identifies him as like middle class, lower middle class maybe. There's something mm-hmm. very middle, lower middle class of a Jane Fonda workout tape, right? <laughs> something. Uh, of course, in 1992, yeah. that would just, they would slightly see that as declassé. Uh, so funny. Such a beautiful yeah. little tell about his character. About know? his character, yeah. yeah. No, good, good catch on that one. Uh, Mr. Humphreys is in the uh, chef's room, and he's on the phone trying to reach his mother. But no, the chef's wrong. gone, love. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he gives the telephone number, and I thought it was interesting that uh, if he gave something that could be a real number. Uh, oh. Because here in the States, you know, whenever we have uh, fake telephone numbers, they always start with 555. Oh, on TV and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or if you're in the I Love Lucy era, it was Klondike 5. Klondike 5. Um, and so the number he gave is not part of the numbers that are reserved for fictional telephone numbers. So um, everywhere in the UK will use 496 for their fictional numbers, except for London, which uses 7946. And that has to do with the area code changes that London has been through 
uh, for years. You know, it used to be inner London and outer London were, you know, 010 and uh, 101. And then they merged it all together and the inner started with seven and the outer started with eight. Uh, and then they got the phone code of O two O. But anyway, um, fascinatingly complicated. <laughs> this is not a fictional phone number. Uh, and as he's waiting for the operator to ring him back, Mavis comes in <gasps> and climbs into bed with him. <laughs> and he sort of objects, but never really says, "What are you doing here? This is my room." Yeah. Right. We don't understand why she's climbing into bed with him. Is this actually her room and there was miscommunication? Did someone intend to put them together? We don't know. But he's frightened. He's like pulling up the clover covers. Uh, the <laughs> like mother Mrs. Slocum was says, with Mr. Hump with, with Captain Peacock, right? right. Uh, mother finally calls back and he gives the line, well, you may never have to worry about anything ever again. He's, <laughs> he's frightened that he's going to get um, converted to heterosexuality by this is by the um, farmer's daughter, and that's a whole other thing we can talk about maybe on the next episode. But I do remember as a kid knowing Mr. Humphreys is gay. Of course, this is like 1992, 93. Let's say just to give a buffer in Arkansas, and one of the, you know, one of the only gay characters on television for me as a little kid was Mr. Humphreys, which granted was from 25 years ago at that time from another country. So, of course, little gay budding Brandon loved the show because of that. And then years later in that current contemporaneous television show, Are Being Served Again, Grace and Favor, you see Mr. Humphreys still kind of be kind of ambiguous and like gay and but never really saying it and and then i remember being feeling the pressure of like heteronormativity and all of this stuff is that the word um that oh he's going to marry mavis oh he's going to marry a woman and i remember thinking that doesn't make me that as the kids say that made me feel a certain kind of way you know Mm -hmm. what i mean made you feel a little sus Uh, Is that the word? (laughs) First time I've heard that. Um, But yeah, it was kind of a like, of course, Are You Being Served, it's tragically quaintly in a bubble, I guess. It's probably the, Mm -hmm. we've we've talked about before. Um, I remember thinking in my own little development of my identity about who I am, my sexuality, um, even Mr. Humphreys has to marry a woman. And that just didn't... I remember thinking, and as I watch this episode as, you know, a 40-year-old now, it didn't, it didn't sit well with me back when I was 12 or 13. And it's going to be interesting looking at that now, all these years later. Years and years later. <laughs> I, that, that's, that's really funny that you brought that up because I didn't have that... Um, I didn't have that rec- that recollection while watching this show the first time, but that was something that I also um, was under the assumptions of for a very long time that uh, because I didn't have a lot of representation about what a long-term homosexual couple could look like, for the longest time I was under the assumption that, yeah, you could, you know, someone could be gay or lesbian or whatever, but... If they want to get serious, they'll really be bisexual and then settle down and get married to someone of the opposite sex. Mm, interesting. Using, using the language that we use at that time. That was the impression that I was under for a very long time, probably until I was um, I was in college. Oh, wow. Did I really kind of figure out, oh, that's not the way that it has to be. But I think that this speaks to something of, of our generation's Plural, because you are I am slightly so younger young. Um, that that's what existed back then. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I hadn't even put these thoughts together until we started the podcast episode tonight. But um, yeah, like 1992, very little representation at all, right? Um, I mean, like, were there long-term gay same-sex uh, couples in the media that, like, young Mr. Brandon and Mr. Jeff could see on television? I can't think of any. Well, I mean, if there any that there were, they were um, extravagantly flamboyant, right? Like, I've, when, when did the birdcage come out? 96, maybe. 
So a- oh, I think okay. after this, maybe. So that that would have been late for me, but maybe early for you. Um, uh, early '90s, God, like. Uh, well, I remember the first primetime kiss was supposed to be on Melrose Place, uh, and that ne- that didn't happen. You know, they they cut away at the last moment. Yeah, that yeah. would have been you know mid nineties. Um, none that are really kind of notable um, come to mind. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that this is one of the reasons why this is still timely. Is if we look at what's going on with. Um, trans youth in sports these days, uh, how they're getting a lot of tension and a lot of people are concerned that there are trans women that are competing that are winning and taking um, championships away from um, cisgender girls. And the, uh, gov- the Republican governor of Utah did a very brave thing and vetoed um, uh, some tr- discriminatory policies that came across his desk because he said, you know, he ran the numbers. He's like, within the state of Utah, we have a grand total of four youth that are participating in sports. And all this bill does is try to stop them from having some kind of normalcy in their lives. I'd rather stop them from thinking about committing suicide than stopping them to play sports do better legislature. Like he, you know, then that's very, very brave for a Republican in Utah of all places to come out and say. And didn't the legislature go and then override his veto and then actually enact it anyway? I, I don't know about that. They did, did they do that? They did. Um, yeah. No, what you're trying to say is representation matters. Absolutely. While, while it's unfortunate that that's what ends up happening, um, I think it's important for these trans athletes to keep um, coming out as they feel safe and as they're able to, because it's only going to continue to bring more representation for the next generation uh, to know that it is possible to um, play sports and have this life that doesn't have to be as heteronormative as society makes you think it does. So when you're 12 or 13, just thinking about it, like you're trying to figure out who the hell you are, right? And we look around us for examples to see who have gone before us. And I'm just realizing how much I kind of latched on to Mr. Humphreys, you know, for better Hmm. or for worse. Um, The original series, like very fun. And I try to think that I'm kind of a funny kind of guy and lighthearted and Maybe there's a little bit of Mr. Humphreys in that's responsible for that. I don't know. But then I remember watching something that would have been modern day of the of the time back when I was that age because our being served again was was new, quote unquote, and still seeing him sort of not able to be his full self and kind of painted into the corner that he has to marry the farmer's daughter and clearly they're not in love. And so the fact that at that time, I would have felt like there's something wrong here. But at the time, I didn't mm-hmm. have words for that. I didn't have... It was kind mm-hmm. of like yep. a, a murky fog. It wasn't black and white. I was still learning. And, you know, it, I was just too young to kind of ha- be able to put it into words. But um, just watching this first episode of this new series, it's putting things together in my brain how impactful that character was to me as a little gay boy. Interesting yeah. stuff. Yeah, and we'll continue to explore this as we've done for the past seventy-five ish <laughs> episodes. Thank you for um, not for... giving up on us yet, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, we'll continue next week with uh, series one, episode two, under arrest, where we're going to get a little bit more background, um, a little bit more exposition, uh, and hopefully wrap things up so we can start getting into some good old-fashioned comedy that's not. Mrs. Sloka milking a cow and chasing a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, uh, let us know what you think of uh, Our Being Served Again. Have you listened to it or watched it um, recently? Is this your first time you're watching it? How does that feel? Uh, we did really get a cool uh, voicemail on the Peacock Hotline, but it was really garbled and we couldn't really understand what they said. So um, if you want to send us a message, uh, you can do that. You can also get in touch with us on Facebook, Twitter. You can send us an old-fashioned email at that does suit madam with an e at gmail.com or call the Peacock Hotline at 662 Peacock. 
That's 662-732-2625. And don't forget to shamelessly grab some merchandise at the Bargain Basement Shop at imfree.threadless.com. And with that, Mr. Jeffrey, as we say every time we get on to our recording devices for this podcast, you've, you've all done, done very, very well. Bye, Unanimous. Bye-bye. That does suit, Madam, is not endorsed by the BBC, and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Are You Being Served is a copyrighted program of the BBC. Investment in the securities of Tudor manor houses can involve greater risk than is generally associated with investment in a large more established companies.